For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Out of all the scriptures, the book of Colossians offers the most thorough explanation of Jesus' divine nature. Here in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul makes Christ's true identity very clear. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Jesus is God. Let's get started. Hey, we are in a very beautiful section of the first chapter of Colossians. We pick up in just a profound and intriguing description about Jesus, our Lord. And so uh, we look forward to being blessed. Let's ask the Lord, uh, Lord, to bless us. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we could see what it is you have for us. Lord, you, you ordained our footsteps. Nothing's by accident. And we're all supposed to be together in this room We're listening to this podcast for a reason, because you want to strengthen us, you want to encourage us, you want to tell us that you see us, you know us, and you have something to help us today with, so help us to catch it, in Jesus' name, amen. So I was at this coffee shop years ago, it's in Sebastopol, I had this conversation uh, with a woman about Christianity and about the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how it came up, but, you know, (laughs) things like that uh, happen. Um, And uh, so here's how she interrupted me in the middle of the gospel. I was telling her about the Lord. And she said, you're talking about Jesus like he's God. And I said something like, bingo, yeah, that's a, there's a reason for that. It's because he is. And she got offended by that. And she said, listen, there are many enlightened ones who have come to the earth to show us the way. And we call them the Christ consciousness, right? And so that many emanations from God have come. And, and there's a circle of them. And Jesus just needs to sit in the circle and join the rest of them and take his place among all the other ones and to be seated in the circle. And I just thought, are you going to be the one to tell him that? I want (laughs) to recommend you do that. Uh, Listen, so my response, I had the happy opportunity to try to break it to her gently along the lines of, listen, about the circle. Jesus invented the circle, and he designed it. He fills the circle. In fact, Jesus is the circle. And without Jesus, there'd be no circle, nor would there be this conversation, because Jesus is God. And he's the creator of all things, and in him, all things hold together in Jesus. Amen? Well, this went way better over with you than it went over with her. So over the years, I have found among unbelievers and believers a a deficiency in their understanding about who Jesus Christ is in his fullness, 
We've got the Son of God, Messiah part, Savior, okay. But is he the Son of God only? Or is he the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of what we call the Godhead? And uh, we are going to learn all about that uh, today, um, especially because the Colossians were under attack by some Gnostics. Some false teachers came to town, tried to put Jesus in his place in the circle. And so when Paul heard that, he wrote a letter, and he's going to give him a couple paragraphs that after you read it, you understand that Jesus does not need to take his place in any circle because Jesus is God. Now, I've had many people say to me as a challenge question in the middle of sharing the gospel, they'll say, where in the Bible does it ever say that Jesus is God? Well, I hope you're here today. Because right here, (laughs) he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17. He's before all things, and in him, Jesus, all things, the big word, all, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. So we're off and running here in Colossians chapter 1. Introductions are over. Verses 1 through 14 was the introductory remarks, a blessing, a thanksgiving, a prayer, which, by the way, was all geared, even the greeting and thanksgiving and the prayer was geared to counter the false teaching that wanted to demote Jesus from being Lord into a created being and that they could look elsewhere for a fullness, a more full gospel. And so Paul just is going to get to it now. What he's, go, what he's doing here before your eyes is giving them theological foundations for the assurance that they have the true gospel, that Jesus is Lord and they need look nowhere else. So here's the theological underpinnings of the assurance that I got the real deal. When I have Jesus, I have God. And if I have God, I have everything I need. See? And so here it is before you. Paul's going to, in this paragraph, really, I see him answering really three questions to kind of settle their, you know, confusion. Who is he, this Jesus, in the verses you're looking at? And then we'll cover two more verses. That What has he done? And then two verses following, verses 21 and 20 through 23, uh, why did he do it? So we've got three W's here. Who, what, and why? And so we're off with the identity of Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. There's a couple theological um, terms in there that are difficult because they're Hebrew idioms and you have to be kind of an ancient Jew to understand them. But, but other than that, after you catch your breath, 
because this is a wow scripture. Come on. We're talking about a Jewish carpenter who was born the same way everybody in this room was born, except, of course, he was conceived not of another human being, but of the Spirit of God. And that's what makes him so different. That's what makes him the God slash man. He is more than just a man. He is everything a man is and more because his father incarnated himself into human form, as we're about to read. And so here's the idea right in front of you. Uh, Christ is supreme, and if he's supreme, there's sufficiency. Uh, That's the idea, is that if I teach you, Paul's saying, that when you have Jesus, you have God, then if you know in your heart that you have God, that this gospel's about God and not some moral example or some emanation from God, a Christ consciousness, or the force be with you, or whatever it is, then if you know what I have on the line here and what, who has me on the line is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the top of top, the supreme of supreme, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. If that's the God of the gospel, why would I? <laughs> need to entertain any ideas about anybody else. And that, my friend, is why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father in heaven. No one can get there except by me. Because why? Because he is the creator. He is the Lord of glory. And so we're diving in here, really, three ideas presented here uh, to, to exalt him, to show him in all his supremacy, his relationship to deity. The word deity just means the quality of being God or divine. So first we're going to see Je- who is Jesus? He's divine, <laughs> co-equal, co-eternal to God himself. And then secondly, your paragraph, your text is going to say his, show his relationship to creation. He made it all. And he holds it all together. And then his relationship to the church. What about in the church? Maybe we need to pray to ancestors or pray to angels or, 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 or pray to saints or pray to Mary or pray to anybody. Whoever's listening out there, you know, somebody help me. Oh, no, 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 no. No, he's Lord of the church. And if you need help in the church and you're part of the church, you've got the Lord and you go to him directly because he's the mediator. And our text will unfold that. So you're looking at quite a text. Let's start with the image of the invisible God. That word image is icon in the Greek. First of all, it has two ideas. That he is the, li- he is the likeness or reflection of the invisible God. So if God were looking in the mirror, he would see Jesus. Okay, that's what the word reflection means. But, my friend, it means more than that. It means Essence or substance of, the stuff of. So, uh, for example, I mean, uh, John, verse uh, 30 of chapter 10, in John's gospel, Jesus wows the Jews by saying, they, they mention the Father, and he says, I and the Father, Yahweh, God, I and the Father are one. He's saying the same essence. For this, they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. 
And Jesus, kind of a sarcastic remark, he says, okay, you're going to kill me? As they're trying to kill him, for which of my good deeds are you going to kill me and stone me for? They said, we're not going to kill you for a good deed. We're going to kill you because you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. They caught it, bingo. They understood it. They understood it so well, they were going to execute him for the crime of blasphemy for a man to say, guess what? You're looking at God right here. And he wasn't shy about it. John um, 14, on the night Jesus was betrayed, at the Last Supper, Philip's freaked out. They're all freaked out. He's talking about dying. He's talking about going away. You're going to not see me. Then you're going to see me. They're all freaked out. Jesus, show us. Just show us Yahweh. Show us the Father. Show us God. Give us a glimpse of God. And he smiles and he says, Philip, how long? Dude, three and a half years? And still you don't know me? I'm right here. Don't you recognize me? Because why? I'm the exact reflection i am the the uh, i am the perfect what is a hebrews 1 3 he is the exact representation of his being the radiance of god's glory so he says john 14 9 whoever has seen me has seen god the father right there where does jesus ever claim to be god john 14 9 for one, where doesn't he claim to be God? You know, that's an easier question to answer. And so the substance and the essence, well, maybe like this will help you. How can he be the same as something else when he's not the something else, right? Well, think of water, steam, and ice. It's H2O, folks. Water is water, whether it's in its solid form whether it's in its gaseous form or whether it's in its liquid form. It's H2O everywhere. When it's going up, it's H2O. When it's solid and you're skating on it, guess what? It's H2O. And when you're drinking it, it's going down as H2O, right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, me and God, I'm the solid part of God. I am God in a solid state. I mean, if you want to think about the Holy Spirit as the steam, and God the Father as the liquid, God says that Jesus says that God is a spirit. You cannot see him. And so the Bible's saying if you fill him up into a human mold and stamp it and then fill it with godness, you got Jesus. He's the God man. And that's a beautiful thought. Now, this opens the door to the Trinity. The Trinity, it took the church 200 years to figure out, let's make a name for what this is, because we've got three beings in the Bible all going by deity. We've got God the Father. He's always mentioned as God. We've got God the Son, who I just gave you a couple scriptures on. And we've got the Holy Spirit, who is called God the Holy Spirit. So we got to come up with an understanding that God is three and one. Now, where did this start? It didn't start with Tertullian. Tertullian is the church father who coined the term Trinity 200 AD. It didn't start with him. It started with Moses in Deuteronomy. Here's the scripture that started this collective plurality, all right? Hero Israel. 
Yahweh, Jehovah, our Elohim. Elohim is plural. It's God's. It's saying, hero Israel, the Lord Jehovah, our gods, the Lord Jehovah is one. Okay, so what's up with that? That's just like we do in English. It's called a collective plural. It means a a collection of things that is treated as one unit, like congregation. You don't use a plural verb with congregation. The congregation are blessed. No, they're not. (laughs) I mean, yes, they are, but uh, the congregation is blessed, right? Because you're one, but you're many. You're collective, family, congregation, audience, Godhead, Godhead, Elohim. He could have used the Lord's name El, but he didn't. He said the gods is one. Oh, this is just the beginning. Now, now, how do we understand this? How do, what's up with multiple gods but one? He's saying here, Israel, there's multiples, but it's one. It's one thing. Let's take a look at creation because creation's way better than water, steam, and ice. I'm going to give you something that really works here. All right? So here are the verses. Then God said, here we go again. <laughs> then the one God says, let us. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Come on. There's one God speaking, but he's saying, let us. He doesn't say, let me. Why? Because there's somebody else involved. There are two other beings involved. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And now look at creation. After he says, this is a hint. This is a clue to the whole world. This is who I am. By look, look at yourselves because you reflect me. You are triune beings. You are three, but you are one. And you are made in our three, one image. So that Paul will say, there's three parts of you. And I'm asking God to bless you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, I'm asking God to bless all of you. All three of you. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. You're you, right? Now, they are so intertwined. Where's your soul? Where's your spirit? And How do they connect to the body? You try, you can't even tell them apart. What, I mean, scholars try to tell you what your soul is from your spirit. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. You try to separate them, you got a dead body, right? So same way where the Jews said, we got the Father. We don't need you, Messiah. We don't need you. And Jesus says, that doesn't work that way. You can't have the Father and not have the Son, Jesus said to the Jews. And I'm quoting from the Gospels. They come together. They. Now, listen, here's a chart. The little triangle thing. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. They are God together. All right? They're distinct. Your body's not your spirit. Your soul's not your soul, spirit or your body. They're distinct, but they're one. And the only reason why we get this is because that's him. He's like this. He made us in his image. 
So we reflect the triuneness of God, and that's where we come up with the word Trinity. Now, listen, who gets this? I kind of get it by faith, but the rest is going to have to be when I leave this body and God gives me a new brain. Because when you get your new brain in heaven where you're going, you shall know even as you are fully known. And you're going to be able to do math like this. Because right now we're like, uh, yeah, well, the father's not the son. Well, you just said he's the father. Well, he's, he said, I am the father. You're looking at the father, but he's not actually the father. Oh, right? Listen, if you could understand exactly every little thing about God, that would be sad. No offense. <laughs> We shouldn't be able to understand. We got enough. We know God loves us. He made us. He's in charge of the place. He intervened so that we wouldn't go to hell. He's good. He's kind. He's perfect. We got it. We got the information. But if we're going to start taking them under a microscope, good luck until you get there even then. Amen? I can tell you've got your thinking faces on. (laughs) Let's put back the original verse there. And they do appear together, you know. At Jesus' baptism, the sky opens up, the heavens open, the sun is standing, and it says you could see the Holy Spirit descending as like a dove, and you could hear the Father speaking. There they are. There, let us make, there the us part, the we There they are all in one. And that's not the only place. There are many scriptures that have them all together. Jesus, our Lord, said, I'm giving you commission. Go out and make disciples. Bring the gospel everywhere. Baptize them in the name. Singular. There is no S on the end of that word. I want you to baptize them in the single one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There we go again. And so that's how Jesus, it can be equal to God and not be the Father because he is the second person of the Godhead. You've got God the Father initiating. You've got God the Son redeeming and creating. And you've got God the Holy Spirit disseminating. So you have the three persons and one God. Now, that Jesus is God tangible in the tangible state, which is what 1 John chapter 1 says. I love when John says, hey, listen, we're telling you about the word of life. It became flesh, and we saw him. We saw him. He moved. I mean, he had a body, and we, our hands handled him, the word of life. Just so awesome, and it explains so much to me if you think Jesus is God. That explains a lot. For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they come looking for him. He comes out and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. That's God's title. That's what Yahweh means, I am. So he comes out and says, I am. He's God. That's God behind those brown eyes. That's God in a body saying, creator of the universe, stand in there. I am. They all fall on their faces. He has to help them up. Come on, guys, you've got a job to do. I'm in control here. I'm in control. Uh, It explains so much. Even that night, 
Peter takes out his sword. Oh, protect you, Lord. And he starts throwing his sword around. He misses the guy's neck. Instead, he just clips him. And the ear, he cut, the Bible says, he cuts off and names the dude, Malchus, cut off his ear. And Jesus says, no problem. and slaps it back upside that dude's head like Mr. Potato Head. What? (laughs) Come on. Come on, a prophet. Oh, he needs, he's an enlightened one. He's the force. No, he's the maker of the human body, and he knows how to put an ear back on because he made the ear for crying out loud. Amen. I'm getting excited. I'm going to leave you folks behind. Come along with me. It just makes sense. What else makes sense? If Jesus is God, which he is, what else makes sense? His claims. Here are the claims. If anybody follows me, just picture a guy saying this. You'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. You better be more than a guy to be able to say, whoever comes to me shall never die. Whoever believes in me will never taste death. That's a pretty good one. I will satisfy your hunger and your thirst. Every human being on the planet, just come to me, and I will. You will never be hungry or thirsty if you come to me. Oh, well, now, now I know God's talking, because only God can do those things and make those claims, especially the part where he says, if you believe in me. And then he walked around one day, the guy got lowered in front of him. He's paralyzed, and they want him to raise him up from the dead. And so Jesus says, that's not his problem. The problem is he's going to hell. So because of your faith, you evidence faith that saves you. And he looks at the dude and he says, your sins, son, are forgiven. And everybody gasps. The Pharisees on the front row, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus says, okay, I see you got a problem. (laughs) So which do you suppose, and I'm quoting John, uh, Mark chapter two. Which do you suppose is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you. Or if I said, hey, you who've been paralyzed all your life, stand up, pick up the stretcher, get out of here. Which would be easier to say? The answer is, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Who would ever know? We don't know that. But he says, but since you've got a problem with my claim to be God, because all sins are against God, since you have a little offense and you're stumbling over it, I'll do the harder thing. I'll say to him so that you know that I I said what I said and it's right on. I'll tell the guy, hey, you get up. Even though you've never walked before and you're completely paralyzed, get up. And the dude stands up. Why? Because he's saying, I have the right to forgive what only God can forgive because I am God in a body. Come down from heaven to give my life away as a ransom to pay for the sins of the world, to reconcile the whole world back to God the Father. That's why I'm here. But you know, this fact was kept from most of them. Of course it was kept from them. They got a lot. I mean, when they were in the boat, you know, (laughs) they're in the boat, he's God. They're in the boat with God. The, The ship is sinking, they're freaked out. They're like, oh, don't you care that we're drowning? And God says to them, 
Uh, where's your faith? God's on board, folks. He goes, watch this. Wind. Pipe down. And they, they're like, whoa, whoa. Who is this guy that even a hurricane obeys him? Well, see, it all makes sense now. And he goes on. He just goes on to, to show us it all makes sense. Jesus created all things by him. All things were created. And if you're wondering where, like in heaven, there's a whole world and a realm. There's a whole creation that you know nothing about. Beautiful, gorgeous. He said, I'm going to prepare it. There's a place. John described it shining like, like gemstones and streets of gold. So, so he didn't just do this job, everything that you can see and hold everything together. He also made everything that you can't see, heaven and earth, visible, invisible. Thrones, powers, and rulers and authorities have to do with the angelic realm because the Gnostics were saying, you guys, do you guys know anything about the thrones and the powers? Okay, because that's, I don't, I'm sure they didn't talk like that, but <laughs> whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, the Gnostics came in and said, hey, you guys, Jesus is lovely. Let him sit in the circle with all the other friends and play nice because we got some news for you. There are th invisible thrones and powers. You've got to get in touch with them. So he's going to say, Jesus created those things that your Gnostic friends want you to go mediate with. He, he created them and he has supremacy over them. And they look to him for their being. That's what the thrones part is all about. But that he created all things. Come on. It's pretty amazing. The atomic glue, he says, in him all, all things hold together, verse uh, 17. Man, they just, you know, you've heard of this, this laminin. They got down to the, 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 the smallest thing that they can see that, tries, that holds a cell together, right? And, and the protein is called, well, it looks like this. It's in the shape of a cross, it's in the shape of the cross. And so this, this is, it, 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 I mean, God has knitted and encoded the entire world with the message of the gospel you can go back to. So he's created all these things. Can I show you a quick slideshow? I want you to remember, it's two minutes long. I just told a guy last night, it would be wonderful if we could hear, this is my father's world set to beautiful scenes of what Jesus created. But every picture you see, I want in the back of your mind to be saying, Jesus created this. The carpenter, Mary's boy, the guy, the guy that looked like us. He's responsible for everything you see. Let's watch this and I'll come right back. It's two minutes. Let's say this verse together. Amen. Ready? Reading from the top there. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
This, I just said this three days ago to a lovely couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. Over and over and over again, I'm like, he's Lord. I'm lifting him up. No, he's higher than that. He did this. He claimed that. How could he just be a created being? That's who they say he is. And I said to them, I keep, and this was the parting words, <laughs> I keep lifting Jesus up and you keep bringing Jesus down. It's a much safer bet to lift the Lord up Amen. than try to put him in his place in the circle. Amen? Amen? This is our Lord and Savior. When you say Jesus, you're talking about the creator of all things, the one who holds everything together. That's just an amazing thing. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. He says uh, he has a relationship with the church. Well, what about the church? Who's the head guy? The head guy isn't the pope or the pastor. The head guy is the Lord. He says he's the head of the church. He's the ruler. So the Gnostics were coming in and say, look to us. Look to us. We've got the secret knowledge for the church. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 no. The Lord is the Lord of the church. The firstborn from among the dead, fascinating thing. Nobody, no human being, can go to heaven except they follow Jesus who took as a man slash God, took our sins away, died and rose again. Jesus, the only one who rose from the dead who didn't have to die again. So he's the firstborn. He's the prototype of a human being. He's fully human who actually died. He fully died and he actually came to life. And he is now ascended, and he's in heaven. As the firstborn, we follow in his wake now. Because even the Old Testament believers weren't fully in the presence of God until the firstborn of all creation, over all creation, the heir who came down and took all the sins on him, died and rose again. That's all that has to say. For the Jehovah's Witnesses say, see, he's the firstborn. See, he was, he's just a created being. Keep reading the paragraph. How can a created thing be before everything? How can a created thing create everything if you had to be created? You just keep reading, and the Bible will answer your questions and get you out of a false religion. Amen? Let's go on. We've got the who. Now we've got the what. What did he do? There's just a couple verses here. For God was pleased, God the Father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in God the Son, the we, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, the Father, all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so we see Jesus, who he is. He's the creator, God. Now, what did he do? He redeemed us. He reconciled your, your word there. Reconcile, beautiful word there. It means to change from enemy to friend. That's really nice. It's a little humbling, this verse, because it implies that you were needed to be reconciled because you were estranged. And then he goes on to say, here's why you were estranged, um, he's going to say later, is, is that we were enemies of God. 
So you, you know the story. We already know if you're going to have to reconcile us, there was some state of strife, right? So there was some enmity or estrangement. And it started off and the, the images that you saw of the earth and creation, it was all good. The earth was in its own little biosphere. There was no bad weather. The, wor- the earth, the Bible says, was temperate, climate-controlled, uh, there, it was just paradise. That's the word for it. And man was perfect. They were spirit-generated beings. They didn't have to eat to live. They had eternal life. And they were clothed in light, you know, like the Lord wraps himself in light. They were spiritual beings with a corporal body, right? And, and so, you know the story? Did God really save the day you... Eat the fruit, you're going to die. What does that even mean? Nobody's ever died here. Surely that can't be true. And so uh, she was deceived. She took some, she ate, she gave it to her husband. He ate with eyes open. That was worse. And by one man's disobedience, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I'm quoting, by one man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin. And death spread to everyone because everyone had sinned. So ultimately, friend, you can trace back murder, war, uh, fear, depression, uh, criminal activity, and even the earth. The whole created order unravels. The earth does not look anything like it used to look. We see little vestiges here and there, and we go, wow, wait till you see when he renews everything. And so earthquakes and famines and floods and tsunamis and volcanoes and sinkholes, all because creation, Romans chapter 8, creation itself was subjected to a curse against its own will, right? And it's laboring and groaning. Romans chapter 8 says it's waiting for the day when the children of God are revealed and the Savior appears and there'll be no more earthquakes and things falling apart and rocks rolling down and avalanches covering people. This is all a result of sin entering into the picture and unraveled everything. So the God-man said, I will come through the womb of a woman. He said it to Lucifer in the garden. He said, you have just destroyed everything. But through a, through a woman, I am going to bring your conqueror. He meant himself. I am going to incarnate myself through one of these dear women who you just tempted and you just destroyed. I will bring your conqueror through her, through a woman. That really, I'm sure, really gave it to the devil there. Just like, you used her for death. I'm going to use a woman to bring life to the entire planet by incarnating myself as a savior through her. And so this is what he does. The God-man comes down, and here's what he does, folks. He takes with one hand all of the brokenness, all of your sins, all of everybody's sins, and the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the everything that went wrong in one hand. And he grabbed... God the Father in holiness and purity and morality and everything good and right and eternal. And he took death and cursing and sin and evil and he held on to life and blessing and light and truth and morality and he brought them together 
And this is how he did it. By his blood on the cross. That is not an emanation. It is not a moral example. It is not a prophet. It is not a rabbi. It is God in a body reconciling the broken, sinful world estranged from him in hostility and enemies on one side and in the other hand, God the Father bringing them together, letting his own, by tearing his own body to shreds. He did it. He took the penalty. The lightning strike of the wrath of God fell upon him as he said, put it all on me. Now, who could, do, who could even bear sins like that? Of course he's God. He has to be the God man, but he has to be perfect man or it wouldn't count. He had to be one of us. And he died the perfect death and he lived the perfect life. And he says, I have reconciled you. And look, at, look back at the verse. God was happy to do this. It made him happy to think, you know what? The whole place un unraveled. Now I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to fix it by becoming one of them. And on the cross, reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Notice he leaves out the phrase, or under the earth. Whenever Paul wants to talk about the whole universe, he says things like in Philippians chapter 2, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Why does he leave under the earth out? Because though their sins were paid for and they could have been reconciled, they did not trust. They did not do the one qualifier to be reconciled is whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So my friends, there's this new progressive Christianity out there. It's all over Facebook. You know, we've done away with hell and the wrath of God and all of that. And we're just all going to be nicer than Jesus. All right. And so did you catch that last part? <laughs> there's a problem if you're nicer than Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 25, at the end, at the judgment, some go away to eternal life and some go away to die eternally. So no, not everybody, universalism, they go to this verse and say, see, God reconciled all things. He would have, he gladly could have. It was available, but not everybody takes them up on the offer. That's just the way it is. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains upon them. That's John chapter 3, verse 36. Okay, so now, closing on a up note. <laughs> so he says, this is who God is, who Christ is. He's God the creator. This is what he did. He reconciled the world to himself through the cross, the blood that he shed, the death that he died. And now he says, why? Why did he do it? He did it for you, and he did it for me. And look at your state before God. Watch this. Once you were alienated, right? You need to be reconciled. You were enemies. Wow. In your mind, because of your evil behavior. What does he mean by that? He's saying, 
You don't want anything to do with him. You heard the gospel. You knew what you were doing. It took you forever. Why? Because you were his enemy in your mind because of your sinful behavior. You didn't want to give up your Friday nights. You didn't want to lose control over how you spent your money. You didn't want to do things you didn't want to do. You wanted your weekends for you. So he's saying, listen, we were all out there. You heard the truth. You heard the gospel. You knew there was a God because everybody knows there's a God. That he put that in our consciences. So he's saying, listen, you. He reconciled you, Mr. Former Enemy, because of your sinful behavior in your mind. You hated anything to do with the Bible with God. It's hard for the churchgoers who were raised in church to understand that, but there's enough sin nature in every church kid to know how to relate to these verses. And all God's people said, I thought so. All right. Now, he's reconciled you. So, but now he's reconciled you. Look at the gift. He says, Here, here's what he's doing. He just said, and we just talked about it, what you once were. Now he's saying, where you now stand because of the blood of Christ. Check this out. First, he says, because of the death, you, he was happy to do it so that you could be holy in his sight. That means you stand before God. You are perfectly morally pure, like him, exactly as in purity as God himself. You are holy. Then he says, without blemish. That means without any stain. You don't have any uh, threads hanging out or any unsightly thing about you. No flaw, morally speaking. Then he says, and free from accusation. On that day you stand, and even today, though it doesn't feel like it, not one finger can be pointed at you and say, you call yourself a Christian, but. Nope. You know why? Because the but was placed on Jesus and the wrath of God fell and paid for it completely. Past, present, future. Everything you're thinking about doing, he's paid for. So he's saying in Christ, because of what Christ did for you, Not one finger, not one accusation will stand. He'll say, innocent, innocent, innocent. Justification means just as if you never sinned. That's the gift. When Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. I told you before, it's an accounting term. It means paid in full. That is why there will not be one accusation. There is not one today. If you're in Christ... The Father sees you already. Fast forward the tape. He knows who you are in heaven. Maybe that's why he can relate to us in such loving ways because he sees the end product. And he says, without blemish, free from accusation. And then he goes on, and it seems to qualify. But it does not mean that your salvation depends on you. There's no if you do this or if you do that in the entire New Testament. It's if you trust, you're saved, done. What's he saying here? He's saying, well, of course he's done all this. It doesn't mean we just kick back and do whatever we want. He's saying, here's what a true Christian looks like. Because 1 John 5, verse 2 says this. Listen, whoever's born of the Spirit overcomes the world. So if you're born again, by definition, you will be these things. So he says, if in case, if in fact you are a true Christian... Here's here's what you do. Number one, continuance. 
Continuing all the way is the litmus test of God in the Bible for genuine salvation. Did you catch that? That's the litmus test. In other words, you may know people who have given up. They're gone away. They're either in a horrendous backslide and uh, hopefully, and they're still saved. Or as John said, they went away because they never were a part to begin with. So the test from here, whether or not you really saved, is he says, if you're truly a Christian, in other words, if you continue all the way. And then he goes on. Established, firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This means you, you will be, to the end of your life, immovable in two ways depending on the, uh, regarding the gospel. One is doctrinally, with the gospel, and one is behaviorally. So those are the two ways people move who have never connected. But if you're connected to the creator, to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's in your heart, then not only will you finish, but you will finish well, and you won't be buying some progressive nonsense theological garbage of every wind and doctrine that comes in and out of social media. Why? Because that's not what true Christians do. True Christians don't fall away at the end because we start changing what sexually is immoral or not immoral. Is there a hell or isn't there a hell? Is the Bible the word of God or is it a nice story? Those people who are leaving there are not showing themselves to be truly Christian in this sense. If you're a Christian, you continue in the gospel theologically sound on the word of God and sound in practice. You don't go off with your secretary or you start looking at porn or you start stealing from your employer. Uh, that's part of it too. So it's not just what you believe here, it's how you live. And those people who depart from sound doctrine and depart from moral living don't qualify and it's not because the actions get you to heaven. It's because true salvation manifests itself in continuance and in doctrinal soundness and behavioral morality. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. You hear him? Here he goes again. This is the gospel. Now with the guys coming, hey guys, you want to get enlightened? Oh, we've got a way better thing. Come on. Come on and, and be cool, be popular, be postmodern. <laughs> Ever? They don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much. I've got Jesus, who just happens to be God. I've got a gospel that just happens to be true. I've got a Savior who just happened to redeem me and the entire world and brought us back to himself. I don't think I'm in any need for anything else. I've got it all right here in one name, and that name is J-E-S-U-S, -S, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, just thank you for your great love and your gospel, your truth, and the mind-blowing reality that you, Jesus, are the living God. We thank you for your wonderful love and your grace. Now, Father, as we prepare to remember the awesome act 
that really brokered the peace that we now enjoy. We ask the guidance of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So what, just a marvelous text to walk into communion. We didn't plan it that way. We're just, God did. And so if you are new here, you don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a member of the universal church. That means you have a born-again relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're invited to partake. And here's how we do it here. We just pass out the cup and the bread, and we ask you to hold on to it. We're going to worship one round while everybody's being served. Then I'll come back and I'll pray over it, and we'll take it together. All right? So if you're uncomfortable, if you're not a Christian yet, you could say a simple prayer if you want to join in. Lord, forgive me my sins. I come to you. I'll, uh, make me your child. I surrender. Thank you for saving me. That's the prayer. And you'd be more than happy. You'd be more, we'd be more than happy to have you uh, participate with us. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't know him. So know him. Amen. May a revelation of truth be evidenced by a change of life. Don't stop here. That was good. That was encouraging. Don't stop there. Let it change the way you do your job, the way you talk to your wife, the way you parent your kids. All the issues of life. Then you're loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because you know how much he loves you. Heavenly Father, that's just something the Holy Spirit has to do in us and we help. We, we need your help and we ask for it that we would just pause and remember your love in the little nooks and crannies of our lives and that you would be Lord and make the changes necessary. We all fall short. We need your help, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.